Welcome back to the Manly Saints Project. By me, Hugh Hunter. We live in a world that struggles to understand the virtues of manliness. Our culture doesn't provide young men, or any men for that matter, with a lot of positive male role models. When I became a Catholic, I wanted to show how the saints could be manly role models for us. My weekly exploration of manly saints became the Manly Saints Project. If you enjoy my work, please consider signing up and supporting me on Substack, or click the links in the show notes to buy me a beer. Now, let's meet this week's Manly Saint. Join me today to meet a man whose search for God took him into the harshest conditions of the First World War. Name, Jakob Kern. Previously, Franz Alexander Kern. Life, 1897-1924. Status, Blessed. Feast, October 20th. On January 1st of 1916, in the middle of World War I, Franz Alexander Kern was deep in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. He made a very bold, very unusual request. He asked to suffer more. Nobody likes suffering. By definition, if you like it, it wouldn't count as suffering for you. But sometime earlier, Karen had been shot in the knee. During the surgery, in the middle of his pain, he had an insight into the nature of suffering. He realized that it could bring him closer to God, that suffering could be an imitation of Christ. Hans Kern had volunteered to fight in World War I. He hadn't planned to be a soldier. He had always wanted to be a priest, even when he was a little boy. As a teenager, he had become a Third Order Franciscan, vowing to remain celibate. Then, the First World War broke out in 1914, and Karen realized that his immediate duty was to his country. He joined the military. In retrospect, it's easy to see the horrors of the First World War. The war toppled empires, including the one for which Karen was fighting. The new tactics of trench warfare saw waves of young men charging through no man's land and scrambling over barbed wire, only to be cut down by machine gun fire. And among those young men were many of the bravest and best of the European aristocrats, writers, and thinkers, the men whose moral vision would have led Europe. Without them, a blind continent groped its way into the 20th century. The cost of the war makes it easy to accept the emptiness and despair in Erich Maria Remarque's influential book, All Quiet on the Western Front. But there were other experiences of the war. Remarque's fellow countryman, Ernst Jünger, saw the war as a test of will and manly strength, an experience he recounted in his book, Storm of Steel. And Franz Alexander Kern saw something else again. To him, 
The chaos and carnage of war was just another backdrop for man's encounter with God. Even on the battlefield, a man could find his way to sainthood. And so, after seeing combat and being wounded, Franz Kern asked God for more, and God heard his prayer. Franz Kern would be sent to the White War. Soon after the prayer, Kern was transferred from his officer training program to a hunter unit. The Austro-Hungarians had taken the idea of hunter units from the Prussians. They would equip small, versatile light infantry units who could move fast and solve problems independently on the ground. Decades later, it was these German hunter units that inspired the strategist William S. Lind to develop his theory of fourth-generation warfare. One thing that hunter training did not include, however, was mountaineering. And yet, it was to the mountains that Cairn and the Emperor's hunters, the Kaiserjäger, were being assigned. They were being sent to reinforce the battle-worn regular troops who were trying to hold the Alps. The armies of Austria-Hungary met those of Italy at their mutual border in the Alps. The Austro-Hungarians fortified their positions high on the frozen peaks, looking down through the clouds at Italy below them. They hauled up artillery and dug trenches, huddling in little huts, their boots wrapped in straw pads to provide a bit of extra warmth and prevent frostbite. One newspaper man who visited in 1917 wrote that, On no front, not on the sun-scorched plains of Mesopotamia, nor in the frozen Missourian marshes, nor in the blood-soaked mud of Flanders, does the fighting man lead so arduous an existence as up here, on the roof of the world. The Italian army, which included units trained in mountaineering, tried to take the Alps. Franz Kern and his comrades learned to fear the Italian mountaineers, whom they came to call tigers. While the tigers scaled the cliffs to attack, Italian miners would sometimes dig under Austro-Hungarian positions to detonate explosives. The weather was as deadly as the enemy, and the fighting and explosions could dislodge snow that would thunder down the Alps in avalanches. December 1916 was especially bad, with over 10,000 casualties from avalanches from both sides of the fighting. The Italians called this conflict the White War, and the name stuck. Cairn's unit went into the heavy fighting in the region around Mount Pasubio. For a little while, in spring of 1916, an Austro-Hungarian offensive, led in part by the future Emperor Karl, tried to break out beyond the Alps. But the offensive stalled, and soon the pressure was back on the Austro-Hungarians. A tiny Austro-Hungarian force held an encampment high up on Mount Pasubio, fighting off the Italian tigers' attempts to climb up and engage. But the small garrison at the top was cut off. They didn't expect to survive. The 19-year-old lieutenant in charge watched the much larger Italian force assemble and thought about mortality, sadly considering all the things he had never done, all the experiences he would never have. Franz Kern's unit had been assigned to support those in the mountain fortifications. Like them, 
he was thinking about the closeness of death. But seen through the lens of faith, the end didn't terrify him. He found it interesting. Reminded of St. Francis's habit of personalizing impersonal things, like brother, son, sister, moon, Franz thought that on the battlefield he was close to Bruder Tod, brother death. He explored the thought in his diary. Dear brother, when you're sent to me, to lead me to that great encounter, no need to send your heralds to warn me that my last journey is about to begin. Just reach your hand out to me. I'll grab it. Eventually, the Italians gave up trying to get to the top of Pasubio. They would bring the fortress down instead. The Italian general had his men dig a mine into the mountain and requisitioned almost half of Italy's monthly output of explosives, packing the tunnel with 77,000 pounds of blasting gelatin. It was such an expensive, grand project that he invited the king of Italy to come and watch the fireworks. Up on Pasubio, the tiny squad waited for the explosion. When it came, they were tossed around as part of the fortress collapsed. But the placement of the explosives was not perfect, and to their surprise, a few of the Austro-Hungarians survived. The young lieutenant rallied his men, and they staggered toward the crater. And there was more good news. The Italians had underestimated the sheer scale of the blast, which had sucked up oxygen and generated noxious gases. The Italians had an assault team ready to rush into the crater and take what was left of the fortress. But when they rushed in, they couldn't breathe, and several died. And then the rocks began to fall, boulders bouncing down through the new crater as the mountain settled. By the time the Italians could mount an attack, the survivors had set up on the crater's edge, fighting until a relief force came to take their place. Someone had to supply the defenders with ammunition and other necessities, and that was where Franz Kahn's unit entered the picture. Kahn's unit were close to the front, so during the day they'd remain out of sight in a cave. Then, at night, they'd carry ammunition and supplies up the mountains to strategic positions. That meant sneaking through areas pounded by Italian artillery and closely watched by sharpshooters. On a night mission in September 1916, an Italian rifleman saw Franz Kahn. The bullet went through his liver and his lung. Kahn fell down alone in the dark on the frozen path. His comrades probably assumed that he was dead. He wasn't, but he knew that between the cold, the artillery, and the sharpshooters, he wouldn't survive where he was. Kahn dragged himself back, agonizingly, to the cave. His comrades couldn't do much for him, and it took two days for him to be carried to a field hospital. By then, the wound was infected. The wound would cause him to suffer for the rest of his life. Kahn spent nine months in the hospital, fighting to stay alive. What the doctors and nurses remembered most about him was his cheerful kindness and his enduring faith. After nine months of operations and recuperation, Kahn was sent back to Vienna. The war was not going well. The old emperor had died. His replacement had actually witnessed the fighting and had the moral courage to realize that something had to be done. Emperor Karl I 
was a sincere Catholic. In fact, today, Blessed Karl is on the path to full sainthood along with his one-time officer, Franz Kern. In 1916, Karl began trying to make an honorable peace. For Franz Kern, though, the combat mission was over. He was back in Vienna, promoted, sporting a medal for bravery, and able to pursue his lifelong goal of becoming a priest. He studied at seminary for a year. After a year, the Emperor Karl had been unsuccessful in his peacemaking, and things were even more desperate. Now even a sick man was needed, and Franz Kern spent the last year of the war back in uniform, performing administrative duties. And then, late in 1918, the war came to an end. It was not the peace that the Emperor Karl had hoped for. Germany would be punished and humiliated at Versailles. The Austro-Hungarian Empire, Germany's ally, would be dismantled. There was much that was good about allowing the different nations of Europe to go their separate ways. But the collapse of the empire also brought about a rejection of its Catholic character. In the new country of Czechoslovakia, the rejection of Catholicism hardened into schism. Priests and intellectuals who had long argued for liberalizing reforms decided that this was their moment. They left the Catholic Church and created a national church, today known as the Czechoslovak Hussite Church. The church would follow more or less the trajectory of Anglicanism, nixing the need for celibate priests early on and introducing priestesses in the latter part of the 20th century. But in those early days, the thing that caught Franz Kern's attention was the high-profile apostasy of one man, Isidore Bogdan Zaradnik. The Czech Zaradnik was a priest and a member of the Premonstratensian Order, also known as the Norbertines. He was a man of talent, having earned his doctorate in philosophy and dabbled in politics in the early part of the 20th century. Now, Zaradnik had abandoned the Catholic Church to help the new Czech Church and take on the role of minister for railways in the new government. The story of the man who left his monastery for a ministry shocked Catholics and amused their enemies. Franz Kern was more than shocked. The way Franz Kern saw it, monks mattered, priests mattered. Zaradnik had walked away from his post. Everyone was outraged, but who was going to do anything about it? If priests are the knights in God's army, then someone needed to step up and take Zaradnik's place, to hold the line, and to become a living atonement in the face of God's anger. Gradually, over a year of prayer and discernment with his spiritual director, Franz Kern realized that this is what he was being called to do. And so it was that in 1921, Franz Kern entered the Norbertine Order as a novice, taking on the new name Jakob after a 16th century Norbertine martyr. Jakob Kern joined the Norbertine Abbey at Geras, the one where Zaradnik had been. The next step was to be ordained as a priest. The Norbertines sent Jakob Kern to study for the priesthood, but he was getting sicker. The bullet wound had never fully healed. The doctors kept sending him for agonizing surgeries. Jakob's cheerfulness and deep calm didn't waver, 
Even when he had to be awake for chest surgery, he apologized to the surgeon for any trouble his agony might have caused. And then he was ordained. Shortly before celebrating his first Mass, Karen was vomiting blood, but he pulled himself together with iron determination and went ahead. Over the next few years, Father Jakob Karen settled into his role as a Norbertine priest. He went from village to village, visiting the sick and preaching. People responded to his gentle smile and general cheerfulness, even when they noticed the signs that he was not well. Sometimes Father Karen had to sit down during Mass to take a few moments to find the strength to go on. Sometimes he stopped to cough blood in the snow when he hurried out to be there in time for Mass in a distant village. His approach began to gain him a following. In 1924, in what would prove to be his last homily, he told the men in the church that for all of them, moral heroism was within reach. They were soldiers. The church was the arsenal, filled with spiritual weapons. The question was, did they have the courage to take the fight to the enemy? For Father Jakob Karen, though, the battle was coming to an end. As his condition worsened, he experienced two things characteristic of saints. First, it was as though a shadow passed over him. His suffering grew worse. God's consolation was suddenly absent. But Jacob's faith did not waver. When he spoke of his love for God in those days, he had tears in his eyes. Then the shadow passed, and Father Jacob Karen saw very clearly that Brother Death was on the way. Karen was scheduled for another operation, but this time he told his family that he would not return. On October 19th, 1924, he couldn't wait for what the next day would bring. Tomorrow, at this time, I will see the Blessed Mother and my guardian angel. Jakob Karen died during the operation. His life had been the one he prayed for, from within, it was a life of suffering. For those around him, it was a life of courage. The battlefield courage of a warrior, of course, but also the courage of a man who can suffer and still show a cheerful and gentle face to the world, who can still do what he must. It should have been a sad life. In fact, Father Jakob Kern was always telling people to be happier. His possessions turned out to include a stack of printouts of a beautiful litany of abundant thanksgiving. Karen had commissioned 10,000 copies, apparently planning to give a copy to everyone. The litany includes a line which blessed Jacob Karen could understand better than most, a thanks for the bitter cup of suffering which makes us strong. Perhaps before the surgery... Before the long, delayed meeting with Brother Death, Jacob Karen reread the last line of thanksgiving. For calling us to our true heavenly homeland, we give thanks to you, O God. <laughs> <laughs> 